welcome back to the dog and duck show. You thought we had disappeared. You thought we had gone out of style. You thought that the market had crashed, but oh no, you're, you are wrong. We are just warming up, baby, and the heat is on. The dog and duck show is back and better than ever, ready for a final Pac-12 extravaganza. The dogs and the ducks, both at the top of their game, ready to battle it out as they make the transition into the the Big Ten. I think I said the Big 12, but the Big Ten in uh, in 2024. So, Mark, my feathered friend, how are you doing? Uh, what an what an opening, Warren. You are in mid-season form in, <laughs> in the middle of August. I am I am doing fantastic. It has been way too long since we have had a chance to sit down and chop it up like this. Uh, as we were sitting, waiting to to go on here, I had Sports Center on, and it opened with MLS highlights followed by WNBA highlights. And I thought to myself, college football cannot get here soon enough. So, amen, uh, brother. Just a I, couple I, of short weeks, my friend. I was I was on my way home from playing some pickleball this evening and my son texted me and this is the kind of text that I absolutely love to get and my son texted me and said so what do you think about the Seahawks this year and uh, I gave him my you know my response to that and uh, and then I said man I am not ready for the summer to end but I am so ready for football to begin so I I bought my Phil Steele uh, magazine the day after it came out. Yep. I devoured it over vacation. And man, I am just salivating, thinking about what this season holds, really not just for Husky fans, because obviously we're stoked about what we're bringing back to this, uh, this season with Michael Penix and Roma Dunze and Jalen McMillan, Braylon Trice and ZTF and, the list just goes on and on and on. Top 10 AP ranking. But I'm excited about the fact that Oregon is just as excited as we are. And, you know, I think when you've got the two, you know, teams that I think have in 2023 the most heated rivalry in the Pac-12, both at the top of their games, that makes for uh, an amazing, amazing time to be the, the co-host of the Dog and Duck Show. So, Mark, it's been a while. I, I don't even know exactly how long it's been since we recorded, but there's no need to go into detail to rehash all that's happened and transpired within the, the, the Pac-12 over the last few months. But let's hit a few of the headlines. What are a few of the things that have stood out for you as it relates to either the Pac-12 college football, the Oregon Ducks, or the Washington Huskies? Well, I mean, obviously the big kind of off-field news that we have not had a chance to dive into in detail is is the demise of the Pac-12, right? Uh, Oregon and Washington uh, announcing that they're, they'll be leaving and joining the Big Ten, and then uh, the four schools that are leaving to join the Big 12, and now you've got four schools trying to figure out what their future is. <laughs> Stanford and Cal are still lobbying the ACC to get in. Uh, Oregon State and Washington State are are wondering if they're going to end up in the Mountain West. Like, I mean, uh, and I don't necessarily want to spend a lot of time like talking about. The, I mean, my short answer is I'm disheartened that that the Pac-12 is coming apart at the seams. And while there's certainly parts of playing in the Big Ten that I think will be interesting and fun, and will give us plenty to talk about in the coming years mm -hmm. uh the loss of rivalries that oregon has had for 100 years um you know that i don't yeah take that lightly i think i think that's a bummer uh but i think the the kind of the bigger context to frame that in is this is going to be the last year of the pac-12 conference as we know it and i think that this is the the top to bottom like i think it's the strongest year or certainly at the top that the Pac-12 has ever had. Like, I think mm -hmm. there, there are individual teams 
in in the past, like the Pete Carroll Trojans, for instance, that I think were better, the Don James Huskies, maybe, you know, that were better than any team in the conference right now. But in terms of having several legit playoff contenders all jump together, all with experienced quarterbacks. I mean, if if you just look at Oregon and you said, Oregon has a fifth-year starting quarterback who is a top-five Heisman contender coming into the year, and they're coming off a 10-win season. If I just gave you that information, you would say, well, pencil Oregon in as the favorite to win the Pac-12 mm-hmm. and you know, as a, as a legitimate playoff contender. Oregon right now in pretty much every prognostication is the fourth most likely team to win the Pac-12. And I think that that's totally, that's totally fine. Like I'm not up in arms that they're getting the disrespect, but it's because you have a returning Heisman Trophy winner leading one team. You have the nation's uh, passing yardage leader for your Huskies. You Mm -hmm. have a two-time Rose Bowl participant, Cam Rising, leading Utah. And so that leaves Bo Nix, who I think led the country in completion percentage last year. And he's, our, you know, the third or fourth best quarterback in the league. So, and and throw in Oregon State coming off one of the best seasons in school history and seemingly having a, a, a pretty good team coming back. So I'm just overjoyed at the prospect of what this season, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to savor it for all that it's worth. Mm-hmm. Because it's, we're never going to get another season like it. But in terms of entering the season with so many teams seemingly having a real clear look at, at a special season. It's, it's just, I think it's going to be so fun. I could not agree more. And I think that it's going to be so much fun to break down the games every week and to see, you know, it's going to be like, I think one of those classic, you know, seventh inning boat race type videos that you watch where, you know, Oregon's going to be ahead and then USC is going to be ahead and then Washington's going to be ahead and then Utah's going to be ahead. And who knows which team ultimately finishes on top, but they're all so good. And as you mentioned, the quarterback play is also good. The coaches are all, in my opinion, very, very strong. And I think every team is going into the season of those four or five teams going into the season with just the highest hopes. And yeah. ultimately some of them are going to be disappointed by the way this season ends. And maybe it's my beloved dogs. Maybe it's your ducks. Maybe it's Caleb Williams and USC, but, but there's, in my opinion, I don't think that there's been a better time to be a PAC 12 football fan uh, across the board, like you mentioned, than than right now, except for the fact that we know that this is our last hurrah, and so it's like bittersweet that we've got probably the best product that we've seen in years, and yet it's not going to be enough to save this conference. Yeah, and that's that's you absolutely nailed it. It's it's bittersweet, and uh, and I think as as the season goes on, especially if it's a really special season, um, you know, yeah, that's going to lead I think to some sadness in the in the midst of the excitement. Um, but I think I'd I'd rather see the conference go out on this note than go out on on a really anticlimactic note of, you know, um, teams that just don't seem to be operating at, at peak potential or, or we get some kind of weird conference champ that doesn't feel all that deserving. And, you know, there, I mean, cause there have been some PAC 12 years, if you go back through the history books and you're kind of like, Oh, Oh, that was a weird year. Like, you mm-hmm. know, um, and, and I don't, this could get weird, but I think wherever the weirdness goes, I think it's going to be pretty wildly entertaining. All right. So Obviously, that was the major headline of the offseason, but we are the dog and duck show. Let's hone in on that right now. And so in just a few minutes, I'll share a little bit about some of my insights uh, from attending the fall practice today. Uh, The August 15th fall practice was very, very impressed by what I saw. Uh, I'll share about that a little bit in a few minutes. But uh, as I mentioned I picked up the Phil Steele magazine right off the the press as soon as it was out. Uh, spent uh, you know the week devouring it, 
I don't have it in front of me right now, but one of the things that stood out to me from the from cover to cover was the similarities in how how powerful both Washington and Oregon are coming into the season. They were both considered to be surprise teams. They were both picks from Steele to, uh, you know, to, to potentially win the Pac-12, uh, to potentially break into the college football playoffs. Uh, they both have great quarterbacks. They both have great receivers. They both have a lot of optimism that their defense is going to be better uh, this upcoming year. So as you kind of went through that, what stood out to you about some of the similarities between the Huskies and the Ducks for this season? Yeah, I mean, you you nailed it that, uh, you know, it's, it, I'm, I'm a historian, as you know, so I like to look at trends and I like to look at, you know, past performance and things like that. And so as I look back through, you know, the last 30 years of Oregon football, I can tell you a couple things. I can tell you that when Oregon has a super experienced quarterback, they tend to have some of their best seasons, uh, whether that was Joey Harrington or Marcus Mariota or even Dennis Dixon when he was a senior. Um, and and when Oregon has a second-year head coach, whether it was Chip Kelly or Mark Helfrich or Mario Cristobal, they take a huge leap forward in production, which is true of many other many other schools, not just Oregon. Uh, so there, those are two specific things where I go, okay, Oregon's got a really experienced quarterback. They've got a second year coach, second year with the system. That means kind of all systems go. And then I, I catch myself and I go, wait a minute, Washington has the exact same thing going in their favor. Wait a minute, USC has the exact same thing going yeah. in their favor. And so it, I mean, because it's not just Oregon and Washington. Everything that we say about uh, about these two schools, you could say about USC as well in terms of the loaded yeah. skill positions, the questions on defense that, you and know, Utah's got, Utah's got a, a quarterback with the same amount of experience and the most established and probably reliable head coach in the PAC 12. Yeah. So, um, so it, it, it is kind of this, it's optimism in a vacuum. And then when I look about it in context, I realize that, this is this is going to be just this war of attrition, you know, yeah. that um, assuming people stay healthy and, you know, we hope Cam Rising comes back 100 percent. We hope every all of these quarterbacks can make it through the year without injury. Um, but assuming everyone stays healthy, uh, I think it's it's just going to be a real battle. And there's no telling which of those teams is is going to be the, the last team standing. And so it's funny just to be in this position where the things that I normally look to as like oh, this is kind of an indicator that Oregon is in for a big year. Uh, I'm just used to those being unique to Oregon and not things that are true of literally, <laughs> you know, our two biggest rivals in the conference or things like that. So uh, so there definitely are a lot of similar themes that I'm sure we're going to be drawing from all season long. Absolutely. So like we will, uh, like we've done in previous years, and we'll do this in uh, an upcoming episode, We'll kind of do a game by game preview. Yeah. We'll we'll make our picks for wins and losses, end of season record, all of that. Uh, so we won't go into that tonight, but give me some uh, just some broad stroke uh, you know, predictions that you have for the season. Maybe what are some of your the things that you're most excited about? What are some things that you feel like are still questions? going into this season for the Oregon Ducks. Maybe there are some things that you've gleaned from practice reports, uh, from transfers, from from incoming recruits that you feel like are going to uh, help shape the outcome of the season. But what what are your, you know, kind of your your broad stroke predictions and reviews and thoughts about this upcoming season? Yeah, I th I think if if there's kind of a the biggest theme that I'm kind of tracking right now for Oregon is is just the theme of new faces. Mm -hmm. uh, last year, Oregon brought in several key transfers, Bo Nix being one of them, Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington, the running back pair being a couple of them. Um, I could go on. There were, you know, maybe about a dozen guys that they brought in as transfers. Mm -hmm. 
that were immediately impactful and and had really strong seasons across the board kind of they hit on every one of those guys and they've gone back to the portal this year they've gone to the portal they they grabbed three different offensive linemen out of the transfer portal to help kind of reload that position group where they lost four starters to graduation last year so that's a big hole they've got some guys that they're excited about coming up the chain like Josh Connerly uh, you know, the Seattle uh, prospect that is going to be starting left tackle, it looks like. Uh, but they've got several guys. They pulled in a guy from Texas. They pulled in a guy from, um, you know, Rhode Island, who was being recruited by schools all across the country. And they're going to plug them in on the offensive line and hope to get the best from them. They brought in receivers from USC and Alabama. They brought in multiple defensive backs from the SEC. They brought in a linebacker from Iowa. They brought in an edge rusher from South Carolina. And I look at that and I say two things. One, if if all of those guys hit the way that last year's transfer class hit, then Oregon has addressed a lot of their biggest concerns really adequately by going out and getting quality, quality players. Uh, then the second question is, is that sort of success sustainable? And are we going to see some kind of drop off where all of those guys don't necessarily perform at the same level? And we see that there is maybe some unintended consequences of, of relying so heavily on the portal to fill those spots rather than just developing guys through the roster. So I, I think that it's, it's kind of a referendum of sorts on Dan Lanning's use of the transfer portal. And I think given last year's success, I think there's there's more reason for optimism than skepticism. But I also would understand if somebody is looking at the amount of roster turnover, they're looking at the fact that Oregon's probably two best assistant coaches, Kenny Dillingham, their offensive coordinator, and Adrian Clem, their offensive line coach, both left for other, other jobs. Uh, I can understand if somebody is saying the turnover would would concern me. I can understand that. Uh, but I think I'm a little more optimistic that those new faces are going to have a really big impact on this team. Yeah. And I mean, clearly we were all tracking the, the comings and goings of the transfer portal after the season. We're all still riding the, the highs of an 11 to 10, three season and wondering what, what it's all going to amount to moving into this next season. And you know, from a Husky perspective, we were looking at it and saying, wow, all these players are jumping ship or they're being shipped out. Uh, but when it was all, when the dust settled, you're, you're absolutely right. Oregon did reload. They, they lost a lot of guys. They lost a lot of guys that were at one time highly, you know, ranked in recruits, but perhaps underperforming or had been injured or just hadn't been able to find their footing in the systems that Lanning and, and crew had put together, you know, as an outsider, I would think that one of the big question marks is will the, you know, the, the offensive coaching staff uh, be able to sustain the kind of success that it had after, you know, losing their offensive coordinator from last year and bringing in a new one who uh, in many ways, very similar to the transfer portal illustration you had success bringing in an outsider uh, to, you know, from Auburn. What uh, what was his name last year? Yeah, Kenny Dillingham. Dillingham, that's right. So, you know, you, you had success with Dillingham kind of showing up and, and installing a system. Uh, you know, do you – are you concerned at all? Are you hearing anything about the offense or anything like that right now from this Oregon Ducks team? I'm 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 really not that concerned. You know, Will Stein, who they brought in from uh, UTSA, Texas San Antonio. For one thing, UTSA has had a very explosive offense the last couple seasons, mm -hmm. and they had a uh, they had one of the best running backs in the country two years ago, one of the leading rushers in the country, and then last year they had a dynamic pair of receivers that um, combined for about two thousand receiving yards as a duo, and so if you just kind of look at it on paper and say, he knows what it, what it means to call plays. Like he, he knows how, how to get the ball in the hands of the guys who need to get the ball. And he has no shortage 
of of weapons at his disposal with Oregon. So I think as as far as like the offensive schematic and the use of the um and and deploying the skill position players that Oregon has, I feel pretty confident. Uh I think the questions along the offensive line and the loss of the offensive line coach and the transition there, I think if if we if we see Oregon's offense take a step back, it's likely going to come about there just because last year's offensive line if you remember Warren was like historically good they I think they gave, up, they gave up six sacks all mm-hmm. season long which is like service academy type numbers when you're right. running the option we, um, we got one sack against Oregon uh, and it came at an absolutely critical time but it felt like a miracle getting that one and that, and that was and that was when Bo was hobbling around on on one foot right on the right last, right last I mean drive. I don't think that his injury played into the sack it was pretty much a you know a bull rush that that came right after him but yeah. but point being we had you know two of the best edge rushers in the Pac-12 last year and we could only get one sack against I, I'm saying that as a compliment to the yeah, 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 sure. team they were that good yeah. Yeah, and they were good, run, you know, running the ball. I mean, that that game against Washington, I think they ran the same play like 14 plays in a row at one point on that drive in the fourth quarter. Like, so uh, so that's going to be really hard to expect the offensive line to replicate that. And I think my expectations are like, if last year's line was kind of an A-plus offensive line and this year's line is like a B-plus, can, can the quality of the skill position players and you know kind of make up for that right. um and, and can the defense kind of help and and i think that's where the to me the questions uh in like because i think the question on offense is can the offense produce at something close to the level they produced last year and the defensive question is can the defense improve significantly right and that's a much much bigger question that i i have a um much cl- less clear picture of what that looked like. I think there's reasons to be excited. Uh but all of those reasons are going to go out the door if week 2 against Texas Tech they give up 500 yards <laughs> and 42 points and you know that um that it, it it has to be proven out on the field and so uh I think that's where most Oregon fans um have have a little more anxiety than than the offensive side of the ball where it it seems like things are in pretty good hands well we'll talk a little bit about some of my prognostications uh, for the washington huskies in just a moment but i did get the opportunity today mark to be able to go and cover the university of washington fall football practice this is the fourth time i've been able to do this over the last couple years thanks to Mike Martin at Real Dog. I brought a friend of mine named Tyler Folk, who is a UW grad, former uh, high school football coach, former high school football player, uh, to come along with me. And um, we we kind of break down our review of that practice. And uh, we'll share that in just a minute on this episode. But uh, to me, I thought that this Washington offense look like it was in mid-season form. Michael Penix and Dylan Morris both looked like they were very, very sharp. The offensive line seemed to really be able to, um, you know, protect against two of the most potent pass rushers in the Pac-12, maybe even in the country in Braylon Trice and ZTF. And uh, they were getting some pretty good open holes up the middle with the running game. And so of course, then when anytime you're, you're scouting your own team's offense against your own team's defense, yeah. you're asking the question, are they that good? Or is the defense that bad? That's the perpetual question that you have to wrestle with, but there were signs of life on the defense that I think were encouraging. And especially at the very end of the practice where they started doing some, kind of specialty type uh, drills and scrimmage, you know, situations where, you know, it'd be third and six and the defense had to try to come up with a stop. 
the defense was able to do that on a few occasions. Uh, the, no interceptions, no fumbles, but they did get some stops. They did get a couple sacks. They got some pressure. Uh, and so they looked improved in, in some ways in that area. But uh, let's go to the post-practice interview that I did with Tyler Vold, and then we'll come back and I'll share some of my thoughts about this upcoming season for the dogs. All right, hey guys, uh, Warren Maynard here with the Dog and Duck Show covering the August 15th practice of the Huskies as they enter into a highly anticipated season. I've got with me a friend and a fellow Husky fan, Tyler Volk. Uh, he was able to join me for today's practice and really offered a lot of insight. So Tyler, you know, watching these guys today, what were some of the things that stood out to you about you know, how the practice was run and what you saw from the guys out on the field today. Yeah, appreciate you having me on, Warren. Uh, I, I thought the offense looked really, really crisp today. Saw a lot of deep completions uh, by, by the quarterbacks and then um, spent a lot of time focusing on special teams as well. Mm. That's another takeaway I had. Yeah, absolutely. There was quite a few drills that were focused on. Uh, blocking punts, you know, trying to, to get to the, mm. the punter. Uh, so clearly that's something that we didn't see a lot of, uh, you know, a, a lot of big plays in that area. Maybe they're really yeah. thinking, hey, this that could fits. be the difference this year yeah. against the Michigan State on the road, you know, those types of games. So you talked about how sharp the the offense was today. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of the, compare what you saw between Penix, Morris, and then the other guys. Everybody else? Yeah. yeah. Why? Well, First of all, is what I thought really stood out was was Penix and Morris took almost all the reps. Uh, I think they took every single rep between the two of them in the team session. Uh, so clearly, the top two quarterbacks on the roster. I thought I thought both looked really really sharp today. It wasn't until uh, the back half of practice that we even saw an incompletion from one of the quarterbacks today. Yeah. I think between those two, there was maybe three total incompletions yeah. all day long. Yeah. And yet, at the same time, we saw at the end of practice, the defense really did bow up and they, they made some plays. They did. You know, for a little while, it looked like it was kind of, you know, warm, like going through the defense like warm butter. Yep. But that was when the field was stretched. That was kind of maybe before there was a little bit more, uh, you know, emphasis on, you know, third and long and those types of drives. But, uh, what impressed you today about Penix? What impressed you today about Morris? I think with, with Penix, just his, his command of the offense, mm -hmm. I saw there was uh, a couple different times that he was able to navigate the pocket and scramble for first rounds. Mm -hmm. I think he got two different rushing touchdowns from scrambling. Yeah. Uh, just consistently moving the ball to a bunch of different receivers, you know, yeah. Polk, uh, McMillan, Odunze, right? Everybody was, was getting open and then, uh, when it comes to Morris, I thought you know him and, and Denzel Boston had a special connection today. I think there mm -hmm. were several long, three or four long touchdown yeah. passes that, that Morris had with Boston. Agreed, and, and in addition to Boston, I think Bernard really. That's you know, what I meant to say, Bernard. Yeah, really, thank you. I mean, both yeah. both yeah. guys. You know, they they're clearly the the favorites of the team two grouping. You know, I think when when I think about the team one grouping, you've got of course Adunze and McMillan, but I put. Giles Jackson and um, who am I missing? Uh, and Polk, Jalen Polk, Polk yeah. in in that group yeah. group one. They all kind of interchange. Group two, clearly you've got uh, Boston and Bernard, Bernard, who are really the future. Yeah. With some younger guys like Tayshawn really, Lyons. Really good. Yeah, absolutely. And um, clearly Boston has ascended yeah. uh, beyond the expectations thus far. When I when I saw from Penix was a guy that is obviously the most seasoned quarterback that we've had mm -hmm. since maybe Jake Browning and probably even you know long before Jake Browning maybe the most seasoned quarterback we've ever had at yeah, the University you'd have of Washington to go back to, to the early two thousands I think absolutely maybe back to Pickett to find a quarterback that looks as polished as he right. is right yeah. and and you know even when things didn't quite go as planned. He still was able to convert, you know, and make those those completions. Uh, Morris, you know, I, my my take is he looks great in practice. Yeah. And we just need to wait and see. Yeah. And hopefully we yeah. don't have to find out unless it's a mop up duty situation. 
He but, had a few uh, a few overthrows, mm -hmm. a few times where he threw into a well-covered receiver that re resulted in an incompletion. There was no turnovers today, but uh, I, you know, I thought from what I've seen him last year, he's he's progressed considerably. I think you know, the future yeah. is is looking brighter for him than maybe we would have thought. If you were to say you had one question about this team coming out of this practice, what what sticks out to you? I think the the running back room is a big mm -hmm. question mark for me. Um, and, and the DBs as well. Yeah. Um, on the running back side, we saw a lot of a lot of Cam Davis, a lot of Dylan Johnson with the ones, and both of them looked sound, mm -hmm. but nobody really popped, right? Which is a concern um, when you're trying to ascend into that top tier of, right. of college right. football. And certainly, it seems to me that in this kind of spread, you know, seven on seven type of uh, practice, you're not going to necessarily know what the running game can yeah. truly do yeah. until the pads get strapped on. But I think you're right. I, I, my assessment was very similar to you, that I think we've got a very, very solid running room, yeah. running back room. But do we have that elite runner yeah. that could take over a game? Yeah. And maybe Cam Davis is going to you know, rise up into that role. Uh, maybe Dylan Johnson can be that. Uh, all-purpose, you know, catch catch the ball and, and uh, keep the chains moving type of back. But to me, that's it's too early to say on either of those guys. And then you mentioned the defensive backfield. Yep. To me, um, what we accomplished this year is, is going to rise and fall on yes. what type of improvement the cornerbacks and the defensive backfield can make this year over last yeah. year. So are, are you feeling more... Uh, positive about this defensive backfield than you were at the end of last season? I do feel better about it than at the end of last season. We had an opportunity to speak with uh, Coach Juice just now after practice and you know he called out uh, Mo Ibrahim as kind of the clear number one on that left side of the field. Jabbar Muhammad. Or Jabbar Muhammad, yeah. sorry, appreciate yeah. that. And then um, on the other side, uh, Elijah Jackson. But you know he mentioned I think six other players that were pushing right. him. So there's a lot of competition yeah. in this room and I think um, you know, what we saw today is probably not the final seating chart that we're going to see week one against Boise State. Agreed. It seems like Elijah Jackson was one of the guys that Coach Lake really identified as potentially that next yep. guy. And then I think some injuries and the four and eight season kind yep. of took away from that. But uh, when, you, uh, when you look at him out on the field, you see a guy that seems to have that, that Jimmy Lake yep. type of game to him now Long, can you put it together fast, yeah. on the field uh you mentioned Thaddeus Dixon that's a guy that I think is uh you know certainly got the potential to really shut down a side of the field uh and then you know Jabbar Muhammad he's done it yep. he's already proven himself now he's coming into a Pac-12 year yeah. with probably the most talented group of quarterbacks that I can remember yeah. being. All right, so yeah, Tyler and I just broke down the practice. Uh, we, we got the chance to talk to some of the defensive players, some of the defensive coaches after the practice. Uh, it was hot out there on the field today. Probably, it was 86 degrees at the end of practice, but probably on the field, it was closer to, to 91, 92, just because of the being in the sun and, and the way that the, heel, the field heats up. So great opportunity for the dogs to get some practice, especially in anticipation of Michigan State on the road in September. Arizona in September is always uh, a bit of a bugaboo for the dogs. So uh, good opportunity to get that, that practice. But let's talk a little bit about this upcoming season for the dogs. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm curious, Warren. Uh, I mean, I'm jealous of you being able to uh, to get into the practice setting and, and check things out firsthand. But I'm, I'm curious, uh, as you watch, you know, from an outsider's perspective, I'm thinking, okay, Washington, they've got a great quarterback. They've got this stable of great receivers, right? Adunze and, and McMillan and Polk. And, uh, and that's kind of where my knowledge of Washington, and, and then they've got the edge rushers. Like that's kind of like the reader's digest version is great quarterback, great receiving core. A couple of great edge rushers. So, 
sell me on uh, Washington being a complete team and not just a team with some some stars at a couple key positions. Does that make sense? Like, like, like where, where, what did you notice at maybe some of the other areas uh, that didn't include those established names? That absolutely, uh, you, like you know, that. you mentioned that for the Ducks, that one of the themes for you was new faces. And I think it's the opposite for this Husky team. It's familiar faces. The number of guys who came back who could have made the decision to leap into the NFL this year was astounding. Of course, we know the big names, Michael Penix Jr., Jalen McMillan, Roma Dunze. But then uh, on the, uh, in, you know, at the left tackle position, Troy Fautano, um, on the defense, you know, we had Tuli Latula Gasanoa come back and uh, Eddie Ulifoscio come back, Asa Turner come back. Uh, so there's a lot of really experienced guys that maybe for one reason or another last year, they were either coming back from an injury or they got injured during the season. So some of those areas got exposed, but you know, to answer your question, is Washington a complete team? I would say my definitive answer is I think so. <laughs> so in other words, I, like you, we all know, uh, as long as Michael Penix Jr. is healthy, uh, this you know, passing game is going to be dynamic. You've got two of the best receivers in the country, uh, a Heisman candidate, a quarterback, an offensive line that, although they're replacing the inside of the interior of the, the line, losing Jackson Kirkland, uh, Henry Bainavalo, two really experienced linemen, Corey Luciano, the center, they're replacing them with uh, Nate Kalepo and Julius Bulow at uh, right guard and left guard. Those two guys have both got starting experience, and they were highly rated recruits, and they are huge. And they've played well when given the opportunity. So you feel good about what they're going to be able to do. Mateo Melek at center also has starting experience and, again, was highly uh, recruited coming out of high school and has the, the requisite size to be able to, to carry the, the, you know, the baton forward at that center position. So you know now you've got all the, the major skill positions the wide receivers, the tight ends, Devin Cole, Jack Westover, both coming back, uh, both have a lot of experience. They're both really unique players and, that can do a number of things. Westover especially kind of has that H-back type of uh, you know utility to him. And then in the running back position, we bring back Cam Davis, who um, was the second leading rusher on the team behind Wayne Talapapa but was one of the leading touchdown scorers in the Pac-12 last year with, I believe, 13 touchdowns. So he was right there around Bucky Irving and Bo Nix in that you know, leading touchdown uh, department. Uh, but the guy that we're bringing in, Dylan Johnson, uh, who had played for Mike Leach the last two years, he's really the, the X factor because he is the ultimate uh, you know, all-purpose back. He can rush for hard yards. He can get the, the goal line carries, but he's also amassed over a thousand yards receiving in his college career. So I'm looking at it from an offensive perspective and I'm saying, okay, if teams decide to bracket the receivers, if they decide to play soft and, um, you know, make the Huskies beat them by a thousand paper cuts, They've got the tools with the, the tight ends and with a pass-catching running back that they can beat you in both ways. So on offense, I feel like they're very solid. They're, they're very complete. Here's where I say I think, I think so, the, the defense. And uh, we know what the edge can do. ZTF uh, in 2020 was the most dynamic pass rusher in the nation. Last year, Braylon Trice led the nation in uh, pass rushes um, and you know it had over 10 sacks for the season so those two guys along with a couple of other dynamic guys in the back 
uh, in behind them have the potential to put a lot of pressure. So the big question mark going into the season is have we shored up the deficiencies with the defensive backfield? I mentioned Asa Turner. He had two interceptions in game one. He got injured midway through the season and didn't really, you know, didn't really make the impact that we thought he would. Uh, Jordan Perryman, a transfer last year, did really nothing. This year, we bring in another transfer, Jabbar Muhammad from Oklahoma State. He was an all-conference player in the Big 12, uh, but he's five foot nine. Can he can he get it done against some of these guys like Troy Franklin? Can he get it done against uh, the studs that USC is going to roll out this year? If he can, then this team this has the sky's the limit. Uh, so I think for me, that's the that's the the million dollar question is can this defensive backfield you know you talked about the offensive line if they go from like an a plus to a b plus you know will the team be able to you know compensate for that i feel like if this defensive backfield can go from like a c minus to like a b or a b plus it's going to be enough to uh, you know, rocket Washington into top 10 territory at the end of the season. It It's interesting. If you look on our lads.com uh, is where you can, you can find depth charts for different teams. And, and so I'm looking at the Huskies depth chart and I'm looking at the ducks depth chart side by side and the names are in blue unless they're a new arrival and then they're in orange. Hmm. And so uh, the Huskies side, it's all in, in terms of the first string, it's all blue, except for one name in orange, and that's Jabbar Muhammad. Um, Dylan Johnson, who you mentioned, is, is listed as the second string behind Cameron Davis. So all blue, one orange name, Jabbar Muhammad. You go to Oregon's page, and there's 11 names in orange and 11 wow. names in blue. Uh, which just goes to what we're talking about, about the, it's two completely different approaches to roster construction, management, you know, of, of talent and all, all of that thing. And, and it remains to be seen which, you know, which, which one will, will bear itself out. But that it is a question that I have for you. Like, you know, when you talk about the defensive backfield, I mean, there were some glaring issues there with guys that were on the field and so obviously if if you're getting Muhammad in as a new new guy if you're getting another guy back from injury maybe some of those guys that were on the field won't be on the field as much uh but just in terms of like you you hope that the guys who were getting all of those reps last year are just going to be better this year right like you're right. you're hoping right. that the the guy that was beat deep on that on that backbreaking touchdown last year this year his technique is a little more sound and he's able to um to cover guys down the field a, a little better like when you were at practice is that something that you were that you were looking for where you're kind of trying to pay attention of like how are they coaching these guys up or or were you just kind of more making making notes about the the things that caught your eye the spectacular plays that caught my eye like like were you able to yeah to get a sense of of kind of how how the technique is being taught and and the learning that is going on in these practice settings yeah it was it was it's always fun to see the way that the coaches try to train up these guys and you know when you think about the washington huskies under chris peterson and jimmy lake of course they were dbu and that was their calling card. And, and Jimmy Lake was a fantastic defensive backfield coach. There's just no argument about it. He could, he could identify talent, he could recruit talent, he could develop talent, and he could execute on the field. That, that is uh, not debatable. The, the jury is still out with what this team can do from that particular uh, position as far as the coaches go. But there's no doubt about it that the Huskies – uh, went into the offseason saying we have got to shore up the defensive backfield. They brought in uh, six freshman recruits, two uh, four-star guys, Caleb Presley 
and uh, Hurley Reed that uh, you know both came in as highly touted recruits. They brought in Jabbar Muhammad. They brought in another uh, guy that uh, looks like he's going to most likely end up in the two deeps named Thaddeus Dixon. And uh, he's got a lot of uh, length to him as well. And then, uh, of course, you've got uh, you've got the guys that were on the roster last year. And several of those guys were true freshmen who were just, yeah. their heads were spinning in right. the first, you know, well, at, really after game four, when we hit the UCLA and the, you know, the, the ASU kind of part of the season, there were some guys that just were not prepared. Uh, yeah. But there's no doubt about it. JV on green. Devon Banks, those are two guys that are more experienced, they're more trained up, and unless there's another rash of injuries, they're not going to be called upon to be our number one guys like they were at parts of the season last year. So, you know, health and injuries is completely unpredictable, and you can't really control that. If you if you throw out true freshmen onto the field, if you throw out walk out walk on players as your starters, you're going to get what you're going to get. But with, uh, you know, another season of training with some additional firepower, this is a year where Juice Brown and the defensive backfield coaching uh, squad will really have to, uh, will really have to, you know, deliver on the promise. Yeah. What um, what is the one uh, the one hole that you'd still like to see filled? Like if if you could if you could be drafting a, a player from years past for the Huskies and and bringing them into this position, like is yeah. there a single position where it would be like oh, but you know I'm I'm still a little concerned about where we're at with this position, or or overall, do you feel like? No, I, I feel like we can put 22 guys out there that know what they're doing and, and feel good about it. Well, you know, that question comes up every year, and it's almost always the same answer for Husky fans. If if you could just pull one player from the past and drop them into this roster, it's always going to be Steve Entman. I mean, Steve Entman was oh, the sure. ultimate yeah. game wrecker. But let me kind of get a little bit more realistic and uh, and maybe to the point of your question. I think if there were one player that I could bring back that did not come back from last year, it would be Peyton Henry. Uh, oh, he, good. he became a very reliable kicker. And yeah. this year uh, we're, you know, we're back to square one. And of course we know when you're playing, when you're going through a gauntlet, like the, the season that we've got up ahead of us, the ducks have up ahead of them, there could be a game where it comes down to a final kick and it sure would be nice to have Peyton Henry, uh, you know, coming out with all of his experience, having slayed the giant and uh, taken down the Ducks last year. But that would be one area that I would say we don't know what that, you know, what that kicking unit is going to do until the game is on the line. Yeah. Um Man, Warren, it's, it's it's right around the corner now. It's so fun to just be. I mean, I'm 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 looking over this roster of of Washington's guys, and uh, and you know, I'm I'm sizing them up, and I'm I'm looking at who's on the second string, and oh well, you know, do they have as much depth at that position or is that position? I mean, uh, you know, like uh, Carson Bruner is a name that's sticking out to me. Didn't he have like a like a game where he had like 14 tackles or something? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I see he's on the second string. And so I'm looking at this going, well, if Carson Bruner's on the second string, you know, then you've got to feel pretty good about the linebackers that are in front of him. Well, you would think so. I mean, I, honestly, I'm not 100% uh, confident in the linebackers because I didn't think that the linebackers were really that great last year. Ulifoscio was working himself back into game shape. Uh, you know, Cam Bright was a transfer that, did okay, but we expected him to be an all-conference level player. 
you know, Alfonso Tupatala, I think really showed that he belongs in the Pac-12, you know, honors, but, but certainly I, I thought that there was, there were games and the Oregon game is a great example of that. When teams are just running right up the middle, the, the linebackers have to fill those gaps more effectively than they did last year. Obviously we only lost two games last year, so you can't be too critical on any unit, but uh, I think, I think that that unit has something to prove and they're bringing in uh, a guy uh, in Raylan Goforth from USC, who I think has got a lot of experience, has the opportunity to, to make an impact on this team, similar to the way that Jeremiah Martin did last year. And, uh, you know, really go out on a high note as a one-time formerly, you know, highly recruited uh, player. So I think he could really step up. You mentioned uh, Bruner, Tupatala, Ulafosio, and uh, and then there are some guys that are kind of waiting in the wings. And uh, you know, I had the opportunity to talk today with uh, Drew Drew Fowler, who's a a walk on, but has really been a solid contributor. He's a guy that could really um, make some plays this year. And uh, yeah, the list goes on and on. Austin Harnato is a guy that I keep hearing about as just being really uh, an underrated walk-on type of uh, recruit. So, you know, that could be a strength or it could just be one of those positions where it just doesn't quite click. And that's where I'm, you know, as I think about the coaching staff, you know, I have no doubts about DeVore. I've got no doubts about Ryan Grubb. I've got no doubts about uh, Jamarcus Shepard. And, you know, I feel really good about the, the defensive coordinators, but is there some room for improvement with a couple of these specific position coaches? It's, it's a, it's a fair question that will be answered in due time. Uh, you know, one thing I, and forgive me if, uh, if you talked about this in, in your, your previous conversation that we just, um, played, but, uh, you do have one transfer from Oregon on the roster, and that's a defensive back named Darren Barkins. Yes, yes. So let me talk about Barkins for a second, uh, because I, you know, I've been kind of in and out keeping up with, you know, Husky news over the last few months with uh, just other things going on in life and career. So we're watching the practice today, and we see number. 19 uh, make a play and I say who was that 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 was really good coverage and we look up the roster and Darren Barkins the name didn't ring a bell with me so I just assumed oh he must be a walk-on and we we kind of laughed at with one another and said oh one of the walk-ons is actually making a, a good play here and then later on the game 19 made another good play and then he made another good play and it wasn't until the end of practice that we realized, oh, wait a minute, this Darren Barkins guy was an Oregon Duck that uh, came through the transfer portal this year and, uh, you know, was a pretty decent recruit coming out of high school. I think he, you know, was a high three-star, you know, ranked like, had like an 88 ranking or whatever. Uh, so what are your thoughts about Darren Barkins? And, and then number two, how does a guy with the last name Barkin not end up as a dog to begin with? <laughs> yeah. Uh, my thoughts on Darren Barkin, Darren Barkins are, are pretty minimal. I mean, he basically didn't play for Oregon, um, which is why he, he transferred. He just could not break through on, on the, the depth chart at all. I think um, as a redshirt freshman last year, he appeared in eight of their 13 games and played a total of 29 snaps on defense and 27 snaps on special teams all season. Uh, so, so he was basically a guy that was getting in there for a couple of reps at the end of a blowout. And then if they were playing anybody who was, a, you know, a really top quality opponent, he just wasn't seeing the field at all. So uh, and that's not to say that he couldn't have a breakthrough and, and be some sort of contributor, you know, to Oregon, 
this year. I mean, he was a, a young kid and they weren't playing a lot of freshmen anyway. So, um, so, so yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be curious, of course, to see how he, he does. Yeah. I think if, if we're going to look for this year of the rivalry, a transfer from one school to another, having a, a big impact, it's, I think it's more likely to be the Washington transfer on the, on the Oregon defense, Taki Taimani, mm-hmm. who's a redshirt senior uh, nose tackle who uh, played a lot last year. And I, I don't think he's going to start just because uh, Oregon has another nose tackle Popo Aumvai who got a sixth year of eligibility granted after he, he missed all of last season with an injury, really excited to have Popo back. So I think, he and Taimani are going to split a lot of the reps at that nose tackle position. But I think, I think he could have a reasonably big impact for Oregon's defensive line this year. I think if Darren Barkins is going to contribute to the Huskies, it's, it's probably a year or two down the road. I agree. Uh, You know, even if he's playing well in, in practice, there's some guys ahead of him that I think, are going to you know keep him from seeing much of the field but again you go back to last year in about a three or four week span the huskies lost seven defensive backs and that was really right in the middle of that you know downturn where they lost to ucla lost to asu yeah uh arizona put up over 400 yards passing against us Uh, it looked like it was going to be a track meet every single week from from that point on so to know that there's a guy that is performing well in practice that could be the third or fourth guy off the bench, that's encouraging because I don't think that we had that kind of depth last year. Yeah. So it's good to see a good, a, you know, a guy who's, you know, highly, was a highly rated recruit who's performing well in practice and, uh, and juice Brown in the post game interview, he mentioned Barkins by name. I asked him to give uh, a little bit of a person, a, you know, profile on Barkins, and he he spoke very highly of the, him, and you know, said that he was a real competitor, and that um, you know that he was really fitting in well with the system. So, um, you know, I think it's it's unlikely that he's going to be a significant contributor this, this year, but you know, I mean, like I said, when you're rolling out walk-ons that you've never heard of before that don't even have a name on the back of their jersey you know it's good to know you've got a little bit more experience than that this year around this time around yeah and and sometimes that guy who fills that spot he he maybe doesn't contribute through most of the season but he has a moment in a big game where a couple injuries force him onto the field and and here it is it's third and long and and you need this guy to to make a play and so um so maybe maybe that that is his story at some point this year. It'll be interesting to find out. All right, Mark. So as we wrap up this episode, uh, we'll come back for another episode to, you know, break down the season and maybe kind of go through the depth chart a little bit more carefully. But uh, any final thoughts as you kind of think about really you know what what your feelings are about Oregon football? heading into the 2023 uh, final Pac-12 season? You know, I am I am relishing uh, Oregon being in the position of the hunter rather than the hunted. Hmm. It feels like uh, the target is not on their back this year in the way that it often is. Utah is the two-time defending conference champion. USC is the one with the Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, I think Washington has you know, more expectations being placed upon them right now. Washington finished as the highest ranked Pac-12 team last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, Washington, yeah. you know, top, legitimate top 10 team. So, um, and then, and the fact that Oregon lost to both Washington and the Beavers, and so both of the rivals kind of have that leg up. I think there is a, a real chip on the shoulder for the Ducks coming into this year. If If you hear kind of what players and coaches have talked about in spring ball and now into into uh, the camp that's going on right now is that uh, they're a much more physical team this year than they were last year, that that seems to be um, apparent through various practices. And so uh, 
I I relish the idea of, of seeing a team that uh, that has some unfinished business, that has some scores to settle, that's that has a bit of a chip on their shoulder, and and that has a chance to sneak up on on somebody maybe in a way that uh, that isn't typical for a team wearing the green and yellow and pink and black and. <laughs> everything else mark it's so humorous to me that uh after all that we've discussed you're trying to characterize this duck team as a a plucky underdog they are they're Uh, the pluckiest yeah you know i mean they're coming in ranked in the top 15 in the ap there are there are essentially four superpowers in the pac-12 this year and they are one of those four they have a heisman quality candidate quarterback coming into this year so you know as i kind of think about this season i think honestly that the dogs and the ducks all season long we are going to be the hunted and you think about the chip on the shoulder that oregon state is going to have being kicked to the curb that Washington State, knowing that they're playing their last Apple Cup in you know uh, Seattle this fall, teams like Stanford that are still kind of on the outside looking in, I think every single one of those teams are going to be coming after the Dogs and the Ducks because hey, we screwed them over sure. royally, yeah. royally. And we're, you know, uh, celebrating our laurels. We're celebrating being in the in club. And, you know, there's a saying, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. But I think similarly, hell hath no fury than a team that has been scorned and left on the outside looking in. So this is going to be, Mark, excuse my language, a hell of a season for all of these teams, especially the guys at the top, because USC, Washington, Oregon, we those are the three teams along with, of course, UCLA, that really were the ones that tipped over the apple cart and uh, you know, dumped out the Pac-12 on their way to pursue the money, to pursue the potential of winning national championships and to not be left behind themselves. So I look at it and I think, okay, every single week, we're gonna be like the, uh, we're gonna be like the, the, the Chicago Bulls during the Jordan era where every team is coming and bringing their best effort every single game because they're trying to beat the Michael Jordan-led Bulls. Yeah, I think, uh... I think that that's all true. And I think, yeah, when Oregon uh, shows up in, you know, in, in uh, Tempe or wherever they, they're going to have a target on it. I mean, there's, it, it's still, there's still Oregon. They're, they're still the brand that comes from there. I, I think just in, in the mix, in terms of where they fit among those four superpowers, it is just interesting to me to have, you know, Oregon coming in as, as the team that I think, again, most people, for understandable reasons have kind of assigned the fourth spot in that foursome. And I think I would rather be in coming into the season in that spot than coming in as, as the number one team that everybody is kind of placing their bets on, because I think, um, I just think motivation is a, is a funny thing. And I think it's harder to stay motivated sometimes when, when you have every voice telling you how good you are, and so seeing a few teams ahead of them in the rankings, I think can only help, you know, get just a little bit extra effort out of guys uh, in each of these practices leading up to the season. Well, the difference between six and 15, you know, with USC at six and Oregon at 15, I think is razor thin. It's going to come down to a few plays, a few injuries, a few coaching calls, and ultimately, at the end of the season, like I said earlier, one of us is going to be pretty pleased. The other is going to be pretty disappointed. But 
that's why we do the dog and duck show. So we're going to wrap it up with that and uh, just say thank you, Mark, for uh, coming back. Thank you for all of those that have reached out and asked when the dog and duck show is coming back. We are back. We'll get back into a routine uh, recording on a weekly basis very soon. But uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at Dog and Duck Show and uh, comment. Give us your feedback on the show. Ask questions that you want us to discuss. And uh, of course, unload all of your husky and duck opinions on us. We want to hear it because that just fuels the fire uh, between this fun and enjoyable rivalry. So for all my dog fans out there, go dogs. And for all my duck fans, go ducks. All right, we'll catch you guys next time.